The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Hey, getting this one out to you guys before 5 p.m. Pacific time. How about that for baby steps? Yeah, we'll take it, won't we? We will. Good day to you all. I haven't a clue what day of the week it is. I really, I need, I, I had at one point pretty recently gone back to the giant paper desk calendars. You know the ones. They're like two feet tall by three feet wide. They're actually wider than the area that I have available on my desk. But I just really need to be able to write all my things down. And I know people are saying, like, Dan, you damn Luddite. Just plug it into your stupid phone calendar. I'm like, yeah. But sometimes it's kind of nice to just have everything laid out all in front of you. You don't have to click in, zoom in real tight, and find out when things are. It's just all there. Now, more recently, I had abandoned that because I've moved to just having everything in emails and a Google calendar that worked on top of the damn iPhone calendar that we have for the family. And so the desk calendar went by the wayside, although suddenly now it feels like we need something to just X off days, like a like an old-timey prison wall. You know, they were carving this, the slash marks into the wall for how many days they'd been there. That is what this feels like. Carving days into the wall. This is day, uh, Fantasy NBA Today, by the way. The show is Fantasy NBA Today. I am Dan Bespris. Welcome to the podcast. I was having a discussion with our child's nanny, which brings us to another point. Don't worry, guys. Everybody is isolating. Everybody's going no place. Just about, and I wonder what you guys think about this also, what's better? What's better between two different ways of kind of tackling this same crisis that we're all in right now. And I I really don't want to spend much time on it because there hasn't been almost any news at all. But it it occurred to me that we've settled into this sort of weird, I don't want to call it a new normal. That's what everybody, this is the new normal. Nah, I mean, at some point things are going to, things are going to go back. I don't know when, could be a couple months, could be half a year, could be sometime in 2021. I don't know. I'm, I'm not an expert on that. Pretty good with running the logic on math, but you know the overall what what is normal. I, that's I'm not my path to walk on today's podcast. What I thought was kind of interesting is that right when all of this stuff started back, which really again it was the NBA that kind of started the the first domino. I was looking at the news every day, repeatedly reading all the articles. All the sub-tweets, all the retweets, all the quote retweets. I was really on top of it. And it was giving me damn palpitations. But I felt like I had a pretty good handle on everything that was going on when testing was getting ramped up. Whether, I mean, listen, we're not going to get into the politics of all this stuff. But just sort of the timeline on how things were going. Lately, and I don't know if you guys have handled the COVID stuff the same way, I've sort of settled into this, okay, well, this is just how it is right now. So... I don't need to be doing three, four, whatever hours of digging every day to find out what the latest is. When the latest happens, and it's a bigger deal, I'll probably hear about it. 
I'm on NBA Twitter still. I know what everybody is talking about half the time. I just choose now to kind of ignore it. I'm not watching press briefings. I'm not watching news networks. I'll watch a few things as they relate to the actual election-related stuff in November, but you know, on the COVID side, I've tried to sort of distance my mind from it to some degree. We're staying home. We're not going anywhere. We figured out Instacart, finally. It took us a few weeks to get that right, but we figured it out. We, we really don't have to go anywhere at all. We're doing our job. We're doing our part. We've been, on the whole, very fortunate. My wife going on maternity right before all of this stuff started, so she doesn't have to be in the hospital. I mean, it comes with the territory, then, that you have to be super worried because, you know, we've got a newborn in the house and there's a, a deadly virus going around. Uh but overall, I mean, I would consider us relatively lucky because financially we haven't been too severely impacted by all the stuff going on. So that that allows us, I think, it gives us uh, a certain piece that I know a lot of folks don't have. And I know, I'm very, I'm well aware of how fortunate we are on that front. And that allows me some of that leeway. But I would suggest to other folks as well, if you're not doing research into how you are able to whether it's financially, business-wise, whatever, deal with this stuff, I wouldn't read the crap every day. I really wouldn't. I wouldn't read the back and forth between the media and establishment. I mean, none of that stuff is going to change anything. The next thing we're going to be hearing about, and, you know, whenever the hell that turns out to be, is, is probably going to be these antibody tests. And when those become more available, we're all going to want to do our part to try to find them. Until that time, I mean, we're on, we're really, at least in California, and maybe it's different in other places if there have been things that have changed lately, but out here, I mean, we're on like basically two weeks where I, I there's nothing worth learning at the moment. So I think, I think I'm happier not paying ultra close attention to all the stuff that's going on. I would suggest you guys do the same. Give your brain a break, and maybe that'll be what the rest of this podcast is for you guys. So hello, everyone. Again, welcome to the Thursday show. We are uh, still in the Northwest Division this week of our six-week romp through the what we normally call the post-mortem season here on Fantasy NBA Today, but because we don't know if the season's officially over... This is the maybe post-mortem. This is just the mid-mortem. Whatever. As I've said before, even if the season came back, I don't think that most of the storylines we're talking about here would change all that much. So I th- we can basically assess the season, assess the teams as though things are done. So far this week, we've covered the Portland Trailblazers, the Oklahoma City Thunder, and then yesterday the Utah Jazz, which actually, and I hope you guys had a chance to listen to yesterday's show, Long discussion on Mike Conley. And there are a lot of things to learn from Utah. From Denver, we've got our different set of lessons. That's where we're going today. We'll finish up the week with Minnesota tomorrow. They had a bunch of changes, and they're a weird one. Maybe I should flip-flop it, but frankly, you know, bleep it. It's too late at this point. I already said we're doing Denver, so screw it. We're doing Denver. They're a fun one. A lot of lessons to learn on this club, so we'll just start at the top, work our way down as we normally did, although yesterday with Utah kind of shook things up in terms of chronology on the podcast. 
No surprise here. The first man we'll discuss on today's show is Nikola Jokic, and he is worth a relatively deep dive. One of the few players in the NBA to play in every single game his team had engaged in to this point prior to the suspension. Jokic logged 65 games, playing 32 and a half minutes a game, 20 points, 10 rebounds, 7 assists, 1.2 steals, 0.7 blocks, a three ball on 53% from the field and 81 at the foul line with about three turnovers per game. And this was, of course, a little bit of an up-and-down season for Jokic. If you go all the way back to beginning of the year, things were not great for Jokic. Like, real bad. And once again, we were reminded of why he is one of the most predictable by low guys in the NBA. Now, to say real bad might not do everything the justice that it deserves. Over the first month and a half or so, Jokic was far from a first-rounder, but it's not as though he was terrible. He was number 46 after his team's first 15 games this year, averaging 15.5 points, 10 rebounds, 6 assists, and a very low field goal and free throw percent. And this is the rub with Jokic. And it gives you, and we mentioned this, I was on a podcast with Brewski a couple weeks ago, a couple of pathways to take. Number one, you know what you're going to get out of this dude. He's going to take about 15 shots a game. He's not going to go too buck wild with shot taking. Career, he's a 52.5% field goal percent guy. Each of his five seasons in the NBA, 51, 58, 50, 51, 53 this year. Predictable. Free throw shooter, 82.5% for his career. Over the five seasons, 81, 82 and a half, 85, 82, 81. Rebounding. If he's out there for 32 minutes, he's going to get almost exactly 10 rebounds a game. Assists. If he's out there for 32 minutes, he's probably going to be between six and seven rebounds a game. Steals, a little over one in that same amount of time. Blocks right around .7. He is as predictable as they come on so many fronts. One. He's a first-round per-game guy. Pretty reliably at this point. And it was nice to see him uh, keep the scoring high even after getting off to that slow start. His ability to do it in both percentages remains one of those things that I always look for. Though, to some degree, he is capped by the fact that he's never going to be Ultra, mega, super, bona fide, crazy, through the roof, elite in any one particular category. He is very good in many. Scoring above average, rebounding well above average, assists way above average, especially for a center. Steals very solid for a center. Blocks league average. Field goal percent a positive. Free throw percent a positive. Turnovers slight negative. Three pointers a slight negative. Seven of the nine categories, he is either break-even or better. Those guys are damn rare. He's up there in the ca- in company with like the with the likes of Kawhi Leonard, who this year actually was more like eight out of the nine categories because he he became an assist guy. Those dudes are crazy rare. So for Jokic, super high floor, and to say. Kind of a low ceiling is a weird way to phrase it because he's going to be towards the middle to back end of the first round on a per-game basis, but somewhat low ceiling because 
And it's funny to say, someone like a Hassan Whiteside, who finished almost neck and neck with Jokic on the season this year, both in per game and in totals, has the slightly higher ceiling because he can win you a category. That type of weird little stuff, uh, it makes a big difference. Someone like a Damian Lillard, who had far more categories that he wasn't good at, Dame was subpar in turnovers, field goal percent, blocks, and rebounding, four of the nine categories, but he was ultra elite in scoring, threes, free throw percent, and I think you could even put him in that category and assist this year with close to eight. Whereas with Jokic, he's very good in a bunch of stuff, but he isn't in that, he doesn't have that game-changing category that the guys in front of him do. Anthony Davis, defensive stats, game-changing stuff. James Harden, scoring free throw percent, game change, and threes. Kawhi, he's actually similar to Jokic in a lot of ways, but just slightly better in a bunch of things. Carl Anthony Towns, actually not that dissimilar, but superior in the scoring categories, superior in the defensive categories. And that's pretty much the guys that are what you'd say were in front of Jokic this year. We could say John Collins is in there, but he didn't play a full season, so we'll we'll pull him out of the mix. And then even the guys right behind Jokic, Bradley Beal, ultra elite in scoring. LeBron James, ultra elite in assists. Uh, in, obviously, in addition to a number of other things, but part of what makes Jokic so interesting is that he isn't ultra special in any one category. He's just very good in basically seven The other note on Jokic, which we already mentioned in passing here, is that he gets off to really bad starts. Repeatedly, this has happened now. Multiple years, he's gotten off to slow starts, and multiple times he's come roaring back as he works himself into game shape. Over the last 25 games this year, Jokic averaged 22-11, 7.5, 2.4 defensive stats, 56% from the field, and 83% at the free throw line with a robust four turnovers a game, but still. I mean, these are big, big numbers from Jokic, who admittedly, like the rest of his team, hit a slight skid over the last eh, two weeks or so. Denver was slumping a tiny bit. Jokic had a stretch in between December and, like, I guess we could say roughly early February where he was actually inside the top three. So, you know, it begs the question then, what's the best way to deal with a guy like Jokic? Do you just casually draft him like everything is normal? Do you you just throw him in the mix and not think about it? Or... Do you go into your league, and I mean, this is really needle-threading. And if you're in a league with most, with anybody that follows hoop ball or really folks that are particularly skilled, you're going to have a damn tough time prying Nikola Jokic off of, out of anybody's cold, dead hands. But there was a time this season when you probably could have gotten Jokic for someone in that 15 to 25 range. Like, if you had offered up I don't know, Trey Young. You almost definitely would have gotten Jokic. And in nine category, by the time this season was done, it wasn't close. Jokic was just blasting Trey out of the water. The turn, the, the turn there was significant. Vucevic, you might have been able to make a swap there. 
It's an interesting little footnote. Jimmy Butler, almost, I, I bet you you could have gotten Jokic for Jimmy Butler at some point this year. How far down the list are you willing to go? Doncic, you you definitely could have gotten him. Luka went one way and, and Jokic went the other. Could you have gotten him for Andre Drummond? Maybe. Maybe. And so that's a thing to consider for this coming season where, and you know, it's not entirely clear how the first round is going to play out next year. You're going to have Anthony Davis, James Harden, uh, I would assume Carl Anthony Towns up at the top for sure. I don't know where Giannis is going to go. You think he'll go before Jokic? Probably. So let's put him in, in that before Jokic. We got the B... Oh, easy, best, Briss. Don't Don't do your acronyms too quickly. We'll say before Nikola, because otherwise we were running down a pathway we didn't go to. So there's BN and there's AN. Before Nikola, after Nikola. Uh, the before group, Anthony Davis, James Harden, Cat, Mm, Giannis, do we think Steph is going to go before Jokic? Probably. That was it this year, by the way. Jokic basically went sixth in every single draft that I was a part of. And then Damian Lillard was the guy right behind him. You know, you could easily see Dame going in front of Jokic next year if things break that way. What about Kevin Durant? Does he make his way into that mix? Does Kyrie Irving go high? I doubt it. What about Kawhi Leonard? He was number three on a per-game basis this year, but he misses all those contests. So regardless, you're looking at Jokic probably going in that same 6-7-8 area, give or take, in nine-category leagues. What if he fell to you? What if he was the guy? What if, he, what if it got to you and your choice was Jokic or someone who this season, I would venture to say, was clearly a partial tier lower. Like LeBron James. I think this last season, in a nine-category league, pretty much all of us would have taken Jokic over LeBron James, and he did finish in front of him. Now, you know, certainly LeBron had a big year with a 10.5 assists per ball game, uh, but his free throw percent kills you. He's trending, one would assume, down. We don't know if there's going to be much of a drop-off because he's seemingly an android, but there's almost no way there's none. Uh, or maybe you have a choice of someone like Joel Embiid or Vooch or Bradley Beal, who should take a hit with John Wall coming back. What if you're looking at some of those guys, or John Collins even? I don't think he'll go as early as he finished this year. What if those are the guys that are on the board? Jason Tatum, LeBron James, Bradley Beal, Jimmy Butler, Joel Embiid. I'm basically just cherry-picking guys in that uh, 9 to 15 range from this year. Would you ever consider passing on Jokic, taking one of those guys, taking whatever, let's say Beal, let's pretend that John Wall's not coming back. Would you take Beal a slot or two too early, and then in the second round, coming back, maybe you end up with, oh, who the hell went in the second round this year? That's always such a screwball of a round anyway. Um, you know, what if you ended up with uh, Chris Paul? What if you ended up with Trey Young or safe? Who are these safe second round guys that always seem to end up in that same grouping? A healthy Clint Capella. Oh, I'm not going to go Jimmy Butler because he's really 
very much a turn guy, and you're you're probably giving up more than you have to in that in that capacity. What if Kristaps Porzingis keeps playing like this? Uh, DeAndre Ayton is also in that mix, but I mean, maybe we focus on a guy like a Nick Vucevic. You drafted him, maybe you draft him like around 18, 17, 18, something like that. Maybe the plan is to end up with Jokic anyway. Sure, you could have Jokic in the first round. He fell to you in this hypothetical scenario. He he was available to you in the draft. And sure, you could take Vooch coming back in the second. You got a couple of centers right out of the shoot. Or you could take Beal and try to trade Vooch for Jokic after the first three weeks of the year. When Jokic is probably going to be, you know, fat-bodying his way up the court. Looking thick and, frankly, a little bit pink. When he gets slapped out on the court, that dude's that dude turns bright pink on the basketball court. And then you move him. And then you end up with Jokic and with Beal. You go get him for a second rounder when he's struggling the first month of the year. Do we think we could pull it off? The answer is, it really depends on your league. Jamal Murray was the second highest ranked nugget at 51, and we know who he is at this point. Jamal Murray is, uh, excuse me, that's that's not correct. Jamal Murray was 54. I know, splitting hairs. 19 points, four boards, five assists, two threes, uh, a little over a steal. A block's fairly negligible, negligible number, about one every three games. Uh, 45.5% from the field, high volume, or medium volume, very good foul shooter at 89%, and right around league average in turnovers per game. I think we know what Jamal Murray is at this point. He is someone that's going to help you a lot in free throw percent, career 89%er. He had a good shooting season this year at 45.5%. That's a step in the right direction, largely because the uh, two-pointers fell at a better clip this year for him. Right around two three-pointers a game for three seasons in a row. His steals actually trended up this year. That's something I don't know if it sticks, because if you look and this is a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately kind of thing, he actually trended down in steals, even though his scoring actually was trending up over the last uh, month and a half, two months. Back down closer to his his career mark, which is .9 steals in about 30 minutes per game. Uh, So I would expect that number to probably come back down again next year. But overall, this is the guy. This is who you've got. He is going to be sitting between probably 50 and 70, He's likely going to get overdrafted most of the time. And he fits that kind of Clay Thompson, C.J. McCollum type mold we were talking about of guys that score. Don't do a ton else. Uh, Murray's assists are a little bit better than uh, those other two gentlemen that I mentioned. But you're, you're, practically, you're basically just comparing field goal percent among those dudes for the most part. You're getting points, threes, and you hope you can do it without busting up your field goal percent much. If you got Clay Thompson, you actually get a slight help. If you go Jamal Murray, is not much of a hit. And then if you go CJ McCollum, is a slightly bigger hit because he's not as great a foul shooter. But that's that grouping. That's the type of guy you're getting there. For the past three years, the rest of the fantasy community has been yelling at me to get on board with the Jamal Murray's going to be a superstar thing. And I just, I pushed back. 
I have a weird history, a fantasy history with Jamal Murray. So let's just take a trip down memory lane here for a second. His rookie year, at the end of his rookie year, he looked pretty good. He was showing signs. And going into his sophomore year, there was so much buzz about Jamal Murray. And I wasn't really buying into it. And he was fine. You know, he made a he made a step forward, but it wasn't the kind of step that everybody was talking to me. He was like, oh, he's going to be a top 40 guy. And then he was like 65-ish. The following year, I made the mistake of continuing to assume that he would fall right back into that same pocket, and everybody got hurt on Denver that season, and he was able to sort of step into that void and take 15 and a half shots a game and cement himself as their lead offensive shooter, volume guy. And so last year... I underrated him a tiny bit, thinking he'd be back in that 70 range and he was more like a round and a half higher than that. So I I misfired underneath by a little bit. And then this year I thought, all right, well, you know, maybe he is someone who's going to sit inside the right around the inside of the top 50. That's fine. I still didn't really target him. And then this year he was just a little bit back of that. Um, Not for any reason in particular. I mean, overall, he had a pretty damn good year. But I think this is just who he is. And there wasn't really a big step forward this season for Murray other than having a slightly better shooting year and probably a bit of an anomaly in the steals. So this is who he is. This is Jamal Murray. He's going to be right around 55 in uh, in 9-cat. He's probably going to sit, you know, if Denver loses any warm bodies over the course of whatever, uh, multiple seasons if you want to go that far, then perhaps his volume increases and that's how he moves up the ladder. But provided his volume stays where it's at, that's what you're going to get out of Murray. Draft accordingly. He's a fifth rounder. And a late fifth rounder at that. I would take him in the sixth if he fell that far. I just don't necessarily feel that he will. Third highest ranked player on the Denver Nuggets was Will Barton, who got no attention at all coming into drafts this year. I did draft him in one spot. Two, actually, if you count... uh, a deep league that I didn't pay any attention to after draft day, and subsequently dropped him in that league because you guys have probably all forgotten this, but I haven't because I've been thinking about what an idiotic thing it was. Will Barton um, did very little first uh, week and a half this season, particularly game two. If I'm not mistaken, and I'll go back and I'll check the box scores just to be 100% sure on this, uh, he had in a game where he shot, I think he shot 12 free throws in their season opener, and so things looked pretty good there. And then in their second game, a win, mind you, uh, he had five points and three steals, and or three blocks, and that was it. Five points and three blocks. And then he had 13 points in the following game, and I thought, all right, well, I, you know, I don't know that this guy's going to have that big of a role, and I moved on from him early in the season. I, I still don't really know exactly why I did that. I mean, he had a couple games mixed in there that weren't super impressive, but overall, after about a week, he was really good. He had one slow week to start the year, and I abandoned ship in one spot. I, I don't know why I did that. I just I lost confidence in my own pick, and a lesson to learn there. They like him. They love Will Barton. He He's going to play. He played 33 minutes a game, which was the most, by the way, on a per-game basis for anyone on the Nuggets this year, just narrowly beating out Jamal Murray. 
He was largely healthy after he'd been playing dinged up for a while. Percentages are not his strong suit, but across-the-board type stuff is. 15 points, two threes, six boards, four assists, over a steal, half a block, low turnovers, a lot to like about Will Barton, and uh, really not a whole lot of fear around him either because he signed next year. He has a player option the year after that, so he's going to be a nugget for a bit. Cool. Same thing with the first two guys we talked about. Now things get a little bit more interesting. Paul Millsap was the fourth highest ranked nugget on the season, just inside the top 100 after a quick start and then a bumpy finish to his year. Millsap got off to an excellent beginning this year. Uh, He was another guy that I took a flyer on in a couple of spots. I don't feel bad about the fact that I moved on from him because he got hurt and missed a bunch of time. He looked really good, actually, Uh, effectively, uh, geez, until December? December, he started to run out of gas a little bit, and then January, he got hurt and missed a month. And things were never quite the same for him, even when he came back. His minutes were lower, uh, he was splitting time with Jeremy Grant, and he probably was not going to be a fantasy asset down the stretch. He was outside the top 100, after his injury stuff. And that's going to be an issue with a guy like Paul Millsap because he's not a spring chicken anymore. He's one of the few guys in the NBA born anywhere near my age group. He's younger than me by a couple of years. But that also puts him up there. I believe he's 35 right now. Right? Yeah. Turned 35 a couple months back. So he's getting on in his years. You know, big men don't tend to age all that gracefully. 6'7", 250 pound, kind of a stocky uh, always been a little bit undersized on a height perspective, and he's been able to do it in across-the-board stats. This year was a weird one for him. From a what-did-you-do-with-your-time-on-the-floor standpoint, it was actually pretty damn impressive playing only 24 and a half minutes a game and, and managing to get inside the top 100 on 12.6 boards, uh, about a steal, .6 blocks. He even hit a three-pointer for good measure and had his best free-throw shooting season of his career, at 83%. He had never had a season, well, he had one year of 90 or 79 in Utah, but really he'd been in the low 70s his entire career. Shot the ball about as, the way he normally does, high 40s. So no surprise there. The issue with Millsap is twofold. Number one, he's old. He's old now. He hasn't really played a full season without something knocking him off his game Since 2015, he played 81 games in Atlanta. Since then, 69, 38, 70 last year, which isn't bad, but not great. And then he had played in 44 of their 65 games this year, missing quite a lot of time with an assortment of injuries. This is someone on their way down. Uh, As far as old men draft picks go, he was a victory in his per-game numbers, exceeding his draft position. He was an ADP win, but the injuries and the downward slope mean that I think we can track him into probably not doing a whole lot next year. His contract finishes up at the end of this season, a $30 million deal. Yeah, quite large. He's not going to get anything close to that as a free agent, as a 35-year-old free agent. Someone will sign him. They'll probably play him 20-some-odd minutes a game wherever he goes, and maybe he can squeeze towards the edge of the top 100, but I wouldn't bank on it. 
Let's wait and see, certainly, if he signs in a place where they're going to give him a starter's job. Maybe he could eke out 26, 27 minutes, and that would be enough for probably top 90, maybe a little bit better than that, in which case he becomes a narrow draft day value. But I think the story here is Jeremy Grant more than anything. He played extraordinarily well when Paul Millsap was down, but simply didn't see enough time on the floor when Paul was healthy to make that same kind of impact. And so Jeremy Grant, who finished the season as number 162 on a per-game basis, if you just pulled out the games of when Millsap was gone, he was inside the top 50. He had a seven-block game in there. But he has the type of fantasy stat set, which, while good, he's not a usage guy, and thus he needs to just be on the floor for extended minutes for it to actually add up to value. I mean, you can find it pretty easily. If you go to Jeremy Grant's game log and just find the stretches where he was playing 30-plus minutes for multiple games in a row, you're like, oh, those are the ones where Paul Millsap didn't play. He was a dynamo in January when Millsap was hurt. It was awesome. It was one of those pickups that made a big dent in Roto Leagues, especially with blocks coming around. And then when he just wasn't playing as much, the blocks went away. Jeremy Grant has a player option for next year at $9.5 million. What we don't know is whether or not he'll exercise it. I'm guessing he will. I'm guessing a lot of guys will because of COVID. Because salary caps are probably going to come down. Guys know they're not going to make what they would have made without the season getting obliterated this year. And I know I promised we wouldn't come back to this topic unless we had to, but I think you're going to see way more players exercising player options as opposed to testing free agency while they wait and hope for revenue to come back up next year. Maybe. I mean, you might see this happen for a couple of off-seasons. Regardless, if he does exercise his player option, he immediately becomes their starting power forward and probably plays the kind of minutes we saw when Millsap was out. They don't really have a a bona fide backup power forward. Michael Porter Jr. is more of a wingman. I don't think they want that dude banging against big guys anyway, even relatively big guys. Who else you got? Torrey Craig, wing Is that it? Kata Bates-Diop from Minnesota coming in. Been in the G League. He's not stealing minutes. So I'm, I'm pretty high on Jeremy Grant for next year, actually. And I think other people will probably join that, that fray if he opts into his deal. I don't think he's going to fly under the radar all that much once it's basically noted that he's getting the starting job. But to me, he's I mean, if he's the starting power forward on that team, he could close his eyes and walk inside the top 100. A couple more peripheral names on this team to mention kind of in passing. Gary Harris, who it's not fair, I guess, to call peripheral, but he played the entire season effectively as the starting shooting guard and did nothing with his job. He's just not the same guy he was a few years ago. He averaged only 10 points, three boards, two assists. Steals were good at 1.4, but really everything else was pretty bad. He was a net positive in steals. He was fine in free throw shooting, but when your two best categories are steals and turnovers, you're probably not going to be that great of an impact guy. I mean, you got to be real good. It's got to be like two steals a game. Mikhail Bridges level stuff. If you're going to if that's going to be 
what you're able to do. And, and the really sad part is that he took nine shots a game. That should be enough for some kind of fantasy value, but he just wasn't hitting them. And I don't, I don't think he ever bounces back. Now, that, that said, that said, he is pretty much perennially a value pick because you could probably take him with your last selection. He signed, by the way, with the Nuggets for two more years, so he can't just disappear into the moonlight. They like his defense, too. So, yeah, what the hell? You know, take him at 140, and what if he gets it? What if he somehow ends up in the, inside the top 100? What if his shooting comes back and he hits threes and steals and he makes himself more valuable in a couple of spots? Fine. You know, if it pans out, great. If it doesn't, who cares? You blow your 140 pick on him? Your 12th round guy? You're going to drop that dude anyway. Take somebody that maybe could make a little bit of noise. I mean, I'm probably not. I think we're going to find other guys that are more interesting at that point. But, you know. Uh, Michael Porter Jr. is the only other player I think worth noting on this roster right now. He was another guy who had a couple of games where he woke up in a big way. But largely, that was when the entire team was hurt. When the Nuggets were healthy, he was playing 9, 13, 15 minutes a game. Every once in a while, he got crazy hot. They rolled with him, and he played 20 minutes. But the 30-minute thing just wasn't available to him. I think you'll probably see him get more minutes next year. The roster thinning little by little, but I don't think it's going to be enough. I mean, he's going to need high 20s in minutes to get up and over that hump. He's going to get drafted, too. He's going to be a buzz guy that gets drafted and then doesn't have enough playing time to live up to the hype. He's going to have to compile over the course of the year. Now, he's able to do to score and rebound. And, you know, he had a few games in there where he was pretty cool to watch. Compelling. But those games were games he was playing 27 minutes a game. 25, 27, 29. Got to be mid to high 20s. I don't, I don't know that I see that coming. What about some of these other names? I don't really care. Monty Morris, Mason Plumley, Torrey Craig. Meh. Meh. I say, meh, I say. So, in conclusion, Nikola Jokic, do we dare pass on him in the first round and try to buy low? Jamal Murray, new C.J. McCollum, settling in fantasy-wise. Will Barton, probably going to get underdrafted again next year. Paul Millsap, keep an eye on where he ends up. Jeremy Grant, possible sleeper-type guy. Gary Harris, don't care. Take him with your very last pick if you want. And Michael Porter Jr., probably still not going to see enough minutes. Yet. some At some point, they probably will. You know, maybe when Barton's contract expires. Or maybe they move somebody to clear out a runway for him. But I don't think it'll be that soon. Tomorrow, we'll wrap up the Northwest Division with a trip through Minnesota. That should be uh, an interesting one. We'll spend a lot of time talking about Cat, who, again, is going through an awful time right now. But uh, we'll talk about him from a fantasy standpoint. Uh, and also certainly relevant because we're hearing rumors that the Knicks are considering Tom Thibodeau for a head coaching position. That is your tie into tomorrow's show. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a hoopball presentation. Hey, I mentioned it yesterday. Uh, you guys want to get a part of our, be a part of our sales team? We're still building it out right now. This is a great time to kind of lay the groundwork on the sales side, where a lot of places are in full slowdown. We are in ramp up. 
Keep your foot on the gas. That's how you that's how you beat everybody out in this world. Just keep grinding. Hit me up at Dan Vespers, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Have a great Thursday, everybody. This is Fantasy NBA Today. Your Denver Nuggets breakdown. Again, Twimber, Timberwolves. We can do this together. Timberwolves tomorrow and then on into the weekend. Talk to you then. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.